Hi, this is Andrew Goodall and Charlie Goodchild, and you're listening to the Health Space Podcast. This is the podcast where we dive deep into health-related questions and topical issues relevant to us all. The world of health and medicine is messy, full of contrasting opinions and misleading advice. We will challenge myths and common misconceptions by exploring the evidence and speaking to leading experts along the way. We are physiotherapists and have been friends since university and share the same belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to access high quality, up-to-date health information. When it comes to health, we believe that better never ends. Thanks for listening and let's dive straight in. So we're here for an episode of the Health Space podcast and this should be quite a relaxed episode today because we've been talking off air a fair bit already we've been chatting about this and it's quite fresh in our mind we're going to talk about challenges and the challenges that we've been we've been doing over the past couple of years there's been some successes and failures and it's been a massive change in the way that both of us exercise and train and we've we just thought it might be interesting for some to hear about that journey and hear about the the stories we've got about them there should be some uh, some some interesting stuff that people might learn but more than anything you probably um, end up laughing at how stupid we've been with some things as well so um, hopefully you get something from it we, we've also uh, invited a guest on just to just to give us a few tips really about where we went wrong and 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 also he's got some stories as well about some challenges of his own that, that he's keen to share so so we've got a, a colleague of ours and a friend of ours James Phillips who's a strength and conditioning coach so Andy is there uh, anything you wanted to uh, to introduce about James before he comes on? Yeah, so James is obviously a colleague of mine at Canary Wharf Pure Sports Medicine. Um, he's very fortunate to be actually managed by me, which is, you know, good for him, really. Lucky for him, if some might say. The reason we got him on is, is not because of his uh, escapade into running, but it's actually because of his fanboying over fencing. Uh, and we thought that might be interesting just as a bit of a mix up for our current sort of exercise selection. James also has a very popular Instagram account now, which you can follow him over uh, and I'll ask, I'll get him to kind of introduce his account. But generally I think this will be nice and relaxed because we're all friends. We've all played terrible level golf together. And I've seen his dance moves. Stories. I've seen his dance moves as well. In fact, I believe that he even has a, an injury story relating to a particular oh. dance move. So, <laughs> so maybe even at some point we can bring that. What, how about we bring you in at that point then, James? Hello everybody uh, i'm james phillips the the man that got injured dancing <clears throat> i guess is a good way to start it <laughs> well essentially you andy along with our colleague at the time brad neil helped rehab me out the back of that that dance move injury essentially i performed several deep squats repetitively in a very fast action um whilst in a what was i believe called a dance off uh, are they also known as slut drops. There, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was just, just, just making yeah, sure. colloquial term <laughs> for a deep, repetitive squat, M- musical squat. Yeah, I probably lost as well the dance off at the time, but it was good fun. I don't remember it. Thanks for coming on to join us, James. Um, I mean, I only only found out today that fencing was is part of your your previous career. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. I was I was at British Fencing before I uh, started at Pure Sports Medicine with the two of you. So I was at, I was at British Fencing um, for a couple of seasons or years. That 
that was essentially my first strength and conditioning job and it was <laughs> I'm not a fencer I've never done any fencing in my life I've only put on the kit once which is certainly interesting as well um to give it a go but yeah I was with the British fencing for a couple of years and that that came off the back of my master's in strength and conditioning at Middlesex University so yeah fencing is an interesting sport not one which many people have delved into but yeah I worked alongside the Olympic team and helped them uh, on their journey to Rio 2016. So James other than fanboying over fencing prior to that you was obviously a higher level runner when you were younger the reason I'm, I bring this up is because it's interesting with kind of with the challenges you're doing now compared to what you what you did before uh, it it's might relevant. be interesting to go through that yeah exactly it's relevant so yeah when you were much younger you did 400 and 800 right I started running probably just because I was all right at it um when I was well probably like everybody when they were uh, running around after a football or whatever I was quite good at it and went and start joined a local athlete, um, athletics club and then it basically became part of my school life um, where I was I was quite good at it, did athletics, did cross country all through school and competed at 800 metres for club and uh, county level. And that was sort of the standard of that. Um, I went to Loughborough and I sort of chose Loughborough as, um, because I wanted to do sports science uh, as a degree, but also to join the athletics uh, community there. Joined there, realised that I was very much a small fish in a very, very big pond, whereas before I was probably a big fish in a small pond um, at school. So I learned quite quickly that I was very average um, in the Loughborough standards, which is still all right, um, and I enjoyed it. But when I was at school and when I was at university, um, versus university, I... At school, I basically sort of just did the training that I quite enjoyed, which is track work, running fast, didn't like going for long runs, didn't like doing the slow, steady, you know, runs in, in the middle of winter, um, the aerobic base, if you like, type work. Um, I just liked running fast around the track. And when I went to Loughborough, I realised that there was a huge part of my training that I missed out, started to include that type of work uh, and running in my training but was essentially trying to keep up with a lot of people that were fitter than I am and so actually what ended up at Loughborough was I probably was overreaching a huge amount because I was trying to keep up with other people that were faster than me on their runs and um, I was running at their point their pace um, rather than at my pace found myself not really improving potentially as much as the work that I was putting in or the effort that I was putting in so I actually ended up leaving well when I finished my degree I, I sort of stopped running basically um, so I stopped running and that's when I turned my head towards strength and conditioning and started to sort of um, put my effort and time into pursuing that that career versus doing any more training really. Kind of this harks back to Mike James's point from our previous podcast where he speaks of overreaching and how inefficient that is for performance improvements as a an athlete we do get stuck in that uh, i'm not quite sure it's fair to call us athletes at this stage but but we'll go with it whoa so, whoa so. <laughs> whoa i'm definitely an athlete. have you seen have you, i'm wearing a project rock t-shirt doesn't that qualify you as an athlete yeah 
Yeah, as much We've as, all got bodies. We're all athletes. Yeah. As, as much as Keith Fine. down, down the pub who's wearing an Arsenal shirt makes him a footballer. So, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, his point about trying to catch up with people or prove prove something that you're not quite ready for, how overreaching is so inefficient for training because you're just too fatigued all the time and, and you, you end up losing performance, if anything. So, yeah, that, that's fascinating that you kind of went through that journey and I'm sure you probably didn't realise the truth of it until you've gone through your strength and conditioning training and figured it all out for yourself. Right. So, yeah. 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 Very much a hindsight thing where yeah. um, I probably only realized that looking back on it, that I, I, lo- I lost love for training. Training became a chore for me. Training yeah. wasn't enjoyable. And the only real enjoyable bit was doing some competition, but that was like, it's just not worth it. Like I just didn't enjoy doing it anymore. I was a bit like, why am I doing this? So I stopped. And both of us, uh, started in in a sport that was very different to where we're at now as well. You know, I, I spent my life either playing football or rugby, which on the whole, my strengths in those sports were speed and power and, and it, it certainly wasn't endurance. I used to be pretty poor at, at any endurance race we'd do at school. And given my, my light frame, it, it was always a surprise to teachers that I really was way below average on on a lot of these types of types of races and runs so yeah given that I now only run long distance or cycle long distances I wonder whether it was the challenge of doing something I wasn't very good at I don't don't know I I think it was probably convenience how it started certainly realizing that I couldn't fit my my rugby ambitions into a family life anymore and I wasn't getting any better at rugby and I kind of realized over a couple of seasons I was roughly the same as I was throughout maybe even get a bit worse so there was there was an element of wanting to do something I could improve at wanting to do something perhaps I had a long way to improve at so yeah you know both of us uh we we signed up for the three peaks challenge didn't we a few years back and it was that that was the trigger because I realized I didn't want to be the slowest um Mm. I thought I'd probably be okay with it I didn't want to be the slowest though so I thought well I'll start running even though I hated running I was you know, I probably only ever run a two kilometers in at once in my entire life and not enjoyed it. So I thought, well, I better run anyway. And it took quite a while, it took quite a lot of runs of not enjoying it, not enjoying it, not enjoying it before I started to improve a bit and go, oh, oh I quite like the feeling of getting faster here. Once we'd, we'd gone through the three peaks, which was great fun, really enjoyed it. It was social. It then stuck, and both of us, I think, both of us decided. Well, how about we do a, a race, do a half marathon? So yeah, we later that year we ran the half the half marathon. So it was about what was it, eleven months of training, I think, that brought us through to that half marathon. But yeah, I, I, it, I'm as shocked as anyone that I actually enjoy running now. It's it's a crazy thing. I'm pretty lucky that I built up an aerobic base, being a cricketer, really, because there's, <laughs> there's quite a lot of slow steady endurance work when you're just trying to hit fours and sixes obviously that helped standing around yeah that helped me get through the three peaks obviously so when you were slip slip catcher as well or something or cover no, no so. wicket keeper obviously that was you know even more energetic <laughs> yeah That's, which is why i reckon i'm pretty good at squatting <laughs> that's fair no i'm joking um obviously yeah do you know what I, i've kind of never been interested in, in endurance i've always been the person like why would you bother cycling for that long running for that long it's just a waste of time it just doesn't make sense 
I do think the convenience thing came into it once I realized, especially once I changed jobs as well. And I couldn't, couldn't really find time to get to the gym all the time. And obviously we've, we're very lucky. We've got a gym at work. So I was like, okay, I'll sort of fit my gym around work. And then oh, I'm just getting less and less fit. I've got no time for team sports and get, you know, what am I going to do? And then like you say, the free peaks came around and then our friend um, Liam sort of invited us to do that half marathon. Didn't he? He basically just signed us up for it. So we all sort of just got involved in that and it's kind of snowballed from there really. I'm interested how you went from uh, or how you got back into running, James, because obviously I say I say back in. I mean, like how you kind of back, came back in and started going to where you're at now, because obviously 800 to recently running the marathon is incredibly different. Yeah, um, I mean, just listening to you guys talk about why you started running a big part of it. I moved to London. I joined pure and i was at a stage where i kind of just wanted to do something competitive i hadn't hadn't really um done anything competitive for a while and uh another colleague suggested to come down to his football club so i went down to the football club and in order to run around after a ball you need to have some base so i did a bit of running alongside that but after uh, fast forward a couple of years that's when i probably had that knee injury and the knee injury had me out of action for a good bit of time I'm trying to remember it I think I wasn't actually able to do a huge amount from a lower body perspective for probably a year and then uh, it was obviously a slow build up of uh, leg strength again um, running was a relatively Im- important thing as, as, as it is to probably a lot of people going back from a long-standing lower limb problem to, to be able to run again so that became quite a big focus and then at that point, uh, I think we're talking end of 2019, where I was probably running about half an hour, three, two or three times a week. And then, uh, <laughs> and then a colleague <laughs> dropped out of doing uh, the Vitality Big Half Marathon uh, in March 2020, which is probably one of the last big events before COVID. And he dropped out, can't remember why, probably hurt himself training knowing him and I was like fine I'll rock up I'll, I'll give it a go and that was with about two months two maybe 10 weeks before so I then was like okay well I need to um try and do a bit more I, I'd had I'd, at that point I'd got a pretty good strength base behind me from all of the um rehab work and I just needed to slowly increase the distance Ended up doing the Vitality Big Half and actually quite enjoyed it, apart from the last few K, that was horrendous. Then because I'd achieved that, which again, I'd never done before. I've never done a half marathon before. It's the furthest I've ever run at that point. Tells you something possibly about my 100 metre training back in the day. Uh, from there, you know, once you're in that sort of rhythm, as you were saying, Charlie, you you see progress, you, you get used to that mode of exercise, um, your body comes used to it and you see improvement which is a great feeling i then started to sort of continue along that path and enter myself for the royal parks half marathon which obviously got moved um because of covid continue training um because they moved it six months uh to april 2021 which by that time i just decided to do it virtually so then did that virtual half marathon I ran laps around Dulwich Park, which was relatively monotonous, but I'm fairly used to running around the track, so that was all right. I had a few people help me out, did a bit quicker than my previous time, and I was 
in a pretty good place with it. So continued training. And then, uh, to be honest, the, the opportunity really to do the London Marathon kind of dropped on my plate a little bit. A friend and the founder of Coop Running messaged me saying that he had a charity place available to do London. And at that point, I was a bit like, oh, that doesn't come up too often. I won- And this was about four months out. And I was like, well, I wonder whether I might be able to train for that. You know, if you're going to do a marathon <clears throat> in my head, London is pretty, pretty high up on that list. Uh, I went for it. And along with the place becoming uh, available to me and um, the fact that I work as a strength and conditioning coach and I train uh, a good few people who are runners, endurance athletes um, who do marathons, I thought it pretty pertinent to be able to experience what they experience as well that was another big reason to be doing it and also for the challenge of seeing whether my body after my knee injury as well could tolerate it and could you know whether I could train and and could put myself through the training to be able to complete a marathon which you know looking back at my 800 meter days as you were asking earlier Andy is quite a big jump that was essentially the journey that led me to doing London, basically. What kind of expectations did you then have for that event? Because as a strength and conditioning coach, I feel that almost adds a layer of, of pressure. Uh, yeah, yeah, completely fair. I train people for a living and I used to run for a living. Not for a living, sorry, but I used to run quite a bit. So I probably had quite high expectations for myself to put it into context I did my virtual half around college which is obviously relatively flat um I did it 134 um and I ran with a couple other guys based off that I was like okay well when the place first became available I was like I just want to complete it and I want to enjoy the day because I know how good London atmosphere can be because I've been a spectator in it before. When I initially signed up, I was just like, I want to be able to, first of all, get to the start line because I didn't know whether the training would, I'd be able to tolerate the training. Secondly, I wanted to be able to finish it and enjoy the day as much as I could. And then training happened and then training started and then I started to get into the groove and, and actually do all right. Um, I was running three times a week and I was strength training twice a week, uh, generally. It was going quite well. And I essentially started to go, okay, well, actually, you know, based off the times I'm running, based on how I'm feeling on the longer runs, I wonder whether I might be able to do 3.30. And I kind of said that to myself. And then naturally, people ask you what time you're aiming for, which retrospectively probably didn't help too much because then I started to answer the question and say 3.30. And then... Lots of people start asking you what time you're aiming for. And then you keep saying 3.30. I probably lost sight of the other goals that I had initially given and set myself um, before uh, beforehand and rocked up to the start line thinking 3.30. And that was uh, what I say to clients often is to set a few goals rather than just one goal. Um, and I call them sort of gold, silver, bronze. And I'd said to myself, well, gold is... 3.30, silver is finish it and bronze is enjoy the day. I think along with saying out loud and to many people, 3.30 to myself, and then also on to the fact that 
I train people for a living. I definitely, considering it was my first marathon and I've been training for about, or running for about two years, I probably put quite high expectations on myself. It feels like you've you've had quite a lot of time. I say a lot of time, but it feels like you've spent a bit of time reflecting on this. I think now, because I, I know uh, I haven't chat, spoken to you about this, I know some of these answers, but I think it'd be interesting for you to share some of the reflections, if that make if that makes sense. Because because I I think as people that train for activities, exercise, whatever it might be, challenges, I think sometimes we roll from challenge to challenge to challenge to challenge, and perhaps maybe we don't sit step off it and kind of go, okay, I did really well. Why did I do really well? Or actually, that one didn't go to plan. Why I didn't go to plan? And I think yours is interesting because I, I well, you sh- you share what what you've done to reflect on make not just maybe not just the marathon actually if that's right would you do the couple of half the, the half the two halves and then also the marathon kind of just a couple of things that you've learned and then maybe whether that kind of helped you and then your reflective process because I think that'd be really interesting for people to hear so I guess the first half I did I didn't know I was doing until two months before so it, it was kind of I was winging it and just sort of seeing whether my body could tolerate it um, and I was kind of happy if, you know, well, not happy, but I, I was fine if I didn't actually make it because of how previously my rehab and me going and, and, and knee injury, etc. So um, going into that race, I was, you know, I, I was just wanting to do it really. Um, you still got a good time as well. I remember the time you. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, cool, first half, very good. What was it that you got in that first one? One thirty-eight. I mean, that's ridiculously quick for a first half so well yeah I mean I was pleased I was pleased again going into that one <laughs> going into that one I'd done a similar thing really I I'd said probably similar goals and then in my head I put gold medal as 140 so I achieved my gold medal in that one and had a great experience I've never I've never done a big event like that yes back in my 800 meter days I've done county champs and, and cross-country events and, and run around uh, stadiums but they're never full because <laughs> no one's coming to watch 17 year olds run around the track yeah you know this this was really well spectated the big half you know it's, it's most of it's half well, essentially half of the london marathon i guess uh the vitality i'm sorry not the vitality the virtual uh royal parks half marathon that was i mean it was a virtual it was a virtual event at the end of the day so um you know it's going for a long run um, I asked a couple of mates to sort of help me out or run with me just to um, break it up a little bit. And that one went very well, actually, because in the first half marathon, the vitality, the last two or three K, I struggled, uh, felt really bad, but I was able to maintain my pace. I was just, you know, in the red. Um, whereas this one, going around uh, Dulwich Park, I... I never really entered the red. I always felt very much within myself. And I think because of my days as, as a runner, I'm quite good at pacing. So quite good at pacing and then just being in a natural rhythm. And consequently, that went very well because I was able to maintain a relative effort throughout the run and which led me to picking it up towards the end. So that one, uh, retrospectively, in hindsight, went very, very well. Um, I was very pleased with that, especially with how I felt at the end and uh, the fact that I'd run four minutes faster. So that's got to be a good feeling to run faster at the end. I've yeah, never, a- ever had that 
in my life and perhaps that's probably probably says something about the way that I run a race um that if anything it's either just about holding my pace or massively falling falling off a cliff with my pace so that's got to be a great feeling to to almost sprint finish what do they call it I think I've heard Alex Quinn talk about it as a negative split is that right so you sort of run faster in your second half as as you do in your first half and I did yeah, I did that. I ran, I, I did a negative split. So the first, the first, well, the second 10k was faster than the first 10k. Um, and it's <laughs> from a, from a longer distance perspective, I probably think, uh, from my experience, um, it's a, it's a nicer way of doing it, especially as, uh, as I was running around the first, I didn't really feel very good on the first quarter of the run. I remember talking to one of the guys saying, I don't really feel that good to be honest with you. And then that passed for whatever reason and I just got into this sort of I call it like a zen like state where you just sort of are in this natural rhythm your body is in this natural rhythm you're not really focusing on too much actually I listened to a podcast um health space yesterday. podcast obviously <laughs> yeah after I listened to Mike James which actually I really enjoyed it was actually Matt Fitzgerald's eighty twenty podcast he had um a psychologist on and i'm gonna forget his name noel lock maybe who's a researcher in ulster and um he was saying some very interesting interesting stuff about how elites tune in and tune out of their body as they're doing these long distance races and i sort of uh, definitely um rang true with me that uh, there are periods of time where you sort of think about your body as you're doing these events and going okay well what feel how do I feel what's what relative effort am I running at and then you kind of tune out um you probably think about something else and so that I just remember going very well because I was in this I was probably just below the the pace which um I could hold for a half marathon and then at the end I just picked it up so off the back of that I was thinking oh, okay I'm in good nick race went well there were no issues injuries or niggles off the back of it which most runners have, have got at some point. Mine are my calves. My knee at this point is not really a problem. And and then fast forward to London. James, before you go there, I'm just going to stop you. I just wanted to say, because you hit your gold both times, on reflection, do you think that that has increased your thought processes about, well, I don't, not I don't need, but like on the day of the marathon, for instance, well, I'm going to get gold. I've got it twice before. I'm like, it's all right having other other goals, but it's most likely I'm going to get the target that I'm aiming for. Yeah. Going into London, I fully believed I could do 3.30. To be honest with you, I wonder if I still can. I mean, I guess the listeners don't know that I didn't get 3.30, but now they do. Yeah. Going into London, I was really happy with how my training had gone. I didn't really have any problems going into the race from a niggle perspective. So I didn't really have to adapt my training. I was really looking forward to the event because I knew that it was a big event and that it can be a great day again, because I've spectated it and lots of people say that it's a great day who have run it as well. So I was actually quite excited. I was quite buzzed. I was um, really looking forward to it. I was doing it with my fiance Sarah. Sarah was um, doing the London Marathon as well, so we were doing it together. I I just knew that it was that it could be a really good day. Uh, so I did go into it positive. I did go into it thinking 
I do believe I can do about 3.30. I set off in exactly the same manner that I did with the other two events of this is my target pace. This is where I'm going to hang out, basically, um, because that had worked for the previous two. That's what I did. And basically what, what happened, and I don't fully understand or know why, because I didn't wear a heart rate strap going into the event I'd felt fine and I sort of uh, my strategy for my nutrition and hydration uh, I had in my head practiced well in my long runs and I stuck to it essentially I think there, there are a few unexpected things which happened quite early on one I know that this might not be accurate because I was only wearing my watch I wasn't wearing a heart rate strap but my watch was saying that my heart rate was abnormally high for the effort or the pace I was running at um, and I didn't feel as though I was running as hard as my heart rate was suggesting and this was sort of 2k in so it happened quite early so I naturally thought that my heart rate was off or the watch was off sorry and I could ignore it so I, I carried on another couple of things which I didn't really anticipate was how well was how well attended it is throughout and how noisy it is and how much of a buzz that gives you um as you're running around and how great it is seeing your friends and your family cheering you and how great it is when random spectators cheer your name i continued running at about five minutes per kilometer which is 330 pace and was enjoying it and didn't feel as though I was overexerting myself. I got to Tower Bridge and I knew that Tower Bridge is a big, big place, huge uh, crowds, lots of noise. And at that point I was like, well, you know, one of my goals is to enjoy myself. So let's enjoy myself. And what, <laughs> what I'd learned on the way around is that you can influence the crowd quite a lot when you run, especially the British crowd don't, you know, they can sometimes just focus on whoever they're trying to um, see, which is obviously understandable. Um, but uh, if you look like you're having a good time and you cheer, you smile, you wave your arms in the air, you can get a really good, really good ego boosting response from the crowd. And so I did that going over Tower Bridge. I was sort of waving my hands in the air and smiling loads and everybody was shouting name and it's it's. A really great feeling um and i would do it all again just to do london uh, for that because it's it almost reminded me of what it must be like to be like a comedian standing on a stage and telling a joke and getting all these laughs coming straight back at you at that point my heart went up even higher understandably because i probably ran a little bit faster over tower bridge and i was enjoying myself and then um i knew that i i could feel that in myself after I'd run off it and turned the corner, where it's still actually really loud because you can see the elites come coming back the other way, and I was like, okay, I, I had a, I had a good time there. I need to I need to calm down a little bit, so I sort of slowed a little, and I held that for about two or three kilometers, and then I started to feel, oh, I'm not I'm not really too sure that I can continue this pace for at that point it was probably 17 miles because I was nearing Clary Wolf and I was like oh this uh this is starting to get harder now and that was another unexpected thing because I fully didn't think 
that that this would happen at this point. I thought that maybe I would, you know, in inverted commas, hit the wall or have to work hard during the marathon. But I didn't think that it would happen at 17 miles. And so when that started to happen, I didn't panic, but I didn't understand what was happening. I started to slow. I thought to myself, you're not going to be able to do 3.30 now because there's no way that you can do another nine miles at five minutes per kilometre feeling like this. And because of the lead up to the event, and as I sort of explaining earlier, how I had continued to say to people that I was doing, uh, that I was aiming for 3.30 as, as my time, and that was my goal, that, and also that I fully believed that I could do it, I kind of lost sight of everything, the, the other couple of goals that I that I had. So when I knew that I couldn't do 3.30, I was a bit like, well, that's out the window. So let's stop because my heart rate at that point was, I think it was 180 something or 190. And I was a bit like, again, I thought at that point that it was wrong, but it had stayed pretty same, pretty similar. I was like, I need to stop. I need to relax i need to calm down i need to lower my heart rate have some have some fluid and then i started again and at that point it basically became a battle with cramp and it was a walk try not to stop don't cramp okay we can maybe start running again run for a bit okay i'm running maybe i could run a bit faster than this because it was essentially a hobble okay, now I'm going to cramp. Okay, you've got to stop. Okay, yeah, no. Um, and it was just that cycle, um, which I was really gutted about because <laughs> I had nine miles to go. Because <laughs> I guess at that stage, it starts to starts to compromise your other goals. Firstly, you've stopped enjoying it. And secondly, you there's a possibility you may not even be able to finish. 100%. So I was pissed, to be honest with you. I was really annoyed at myself because, well, I wasn't annoyed at myself. I was more annoyed that this your body happened. that's how body. i go yeah because i didn't at that point i didn't really understand why i didn't really feel like i'd done anything wrong and this is possibly my naivety um going into the london marathon into, the, into doing a marathon but probably comes back to your point andy of i had successfully done all the other uh longer distance events that i had attempted and achieved it and this wasn't going my way and so I didn't understand it um, I wasn't used to it and to be honest with you I didn't quite know what to do as well so hence why I was like just stop because 3.30 is out the window you know that you have to finish this so let's just stop recuperate and go again sort of thing at that point as well and in hindsight I completely lost sight of all of my hydration and nutrition strategy that went out the window because I didn't care anymore about 3.30 so and my mind was so fixated to not cramping that I completely stopped thinking about everything else that might even help me start again um so yeah I finished the race <laughs> um I finished the race looking behind me because I knew that Sarah uh, my fiance um was catching me um, because I'd spoken to other spectators that she was doing all right um, and that she was on for her target, which was about four, four, four hours. 
and I knew that she might catch me and overtake me, have me having started before her. Um, so we actually ended up having this lovely moment where um, we both finished, or I finished in about a minute after she finished, and we had this ni nice moment afterwards. But I was distraught. I was not happy, and I didn't have a good time for about half an hour, at least half an hour. And Sarah was ecstatic because she had just done four hours and felt great for the whole run. And then I went sort of through this cycle of, it's probably almost like um, a loss uh, or having a loss where you deny it. You So I was then going, well, something went wrong. Something must have gone wrong because this this couldn't have happened to me sort of thing. So I, didn't, I sort of denied it in my head and I was really disappointed. And then I sort of started to, reflect a little bit and look back and go well actually two years ago you could definitely not have run a marathon and your knee arrived it and you're able to finish it and actually for a good a good chunk of it you're able to enjoy it as well yeah retrospectively and having you know having it been what what's it now it's probably nearly two weeks since it the further I get away from it the the better uh, a time I had than I think I had and I'm almost blocking out what, what happened towards the end, to be honest with you. Time, time is a healer. Time is a healer. Yeah, it's good that, that's good though, James, because like it's important, although, like you said, you didn't quite achieve the time you wanted, you did manage to complete it in a very, very respectable time. That's that's important. Well, on that, obviously, you know, I don't want to belittle the time that I finished it in because to some people that is a good time and, and, and they would love to do that time. And... But for me, that that wasn't what I, I think I'm capable of doing better than that. Although I should be allowed to feel disappointed in the time that I did it in. And it reminds me of, and I'm certainly not comparing myself to an Olympic athlete or Olympic boxer here, but I remember an Olympic boxer, and I'm, I can't remember his name, but he got silver. Yeah. Um, and he was distraught at getting silver because he fully believed that he could get gold. And his interview was all about the fact that he didn't want to belittle the fact that he got an Olympic silver medal, but he wanted gold. Yeah, I remember that interview. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fine. I think that's good, though, right? That's I, I think these things, like, that's the fuel. Like, let's, let's, you know, that is the fuel for the next one. And that's, that's kind of, this is an important point to go on to because, like, that was really important to listen to. And uh, thanks for sharing that, James. But we're talking on the grander scale about challenges and these are the little like learnings and the points that kind of make them roll over into the next one right not just the wins but kind of the losses if you want to call out or the ones that don't quite go to plan sometimes actually they're they're like they're the bigger motivator or, or, or more of a fuel than probably we realize so will you do another one james yes yeah exactly yes. so i kind of i kind of have to do another one because yeah. i want to know what i can do um, and dog. also yeah, and more that I don't want to, I, I want to know that uh, <laughs> I won't hit the wall so early and I want to experience that. One, for myself, two, so that I can, again, from, from my work perspective, relay that information and have that experience. Yeah, no, You've I got a lot of that already, James. I think that like now I reckon you can probably have a more wholesome conversation with an endurance athlete that is somebody that's done a lot of endurance events, you can probably have a conversation that is way deeper than maybe you might have been able to have off of those hitting those two goals that you've done before. 
that's that that's the way it looks from the outside anyway. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah you yeah yeah no, like for that. sure no for sure I, and uh, I completely agree and I appreciate that yeah um, and of uh, having done it I I definitely have a respect for anybody that even attempts a marathon and yeah I for sure think that it will help me as a coach. Um, interestingly, I half wish that I had uh, had someone where I could objectively discuss all this stuff with as well who you know essentially a running coach or someone like myself because I certainly think that it's a very useful tool to have someone who's there for you and, and is objective uh, and can help you see the wood from the trees yeah so I, I I have a very similar feeling about my recent half marathon so I did the Royal Parks half marathon last Sunday so, so th- this year has been fairly fairly comprehensive in, with endurance lots of endurance events going on so we cycled to Leeds which I think we'll speak about soon and we then had a half marathon which neither, neither myself nor Andy had trained for uh, or barely trained for and then after that one which I saw as a success because I had five training runs and got round in a in, in a similar time to my first half marathon in fact slightly faster I thought oh great maybe I can PB at Royal Parks half marathon in eight weeks. And looking back on it, that's not a realistic time frame to, to knock six minutes off a half marathon in seven weeks. And then considering that so so throughout that seven weeks I was doing okay with training, but then I was ill. I was I was unwell, not that bad, but bad enough not to train for three, nearly four weeks. And despite that, despite knowing a reasonable amount about sports science, despite knowing enough about running now and enough about my body I still went in expecting to maybe not quite PB but get sub 150 which was a good couple of minutes faster than my London landmarks time from seven weeks earlier so I ran I set off not having a backup goal I, I tried to take expectations off myself and I was vocalizing to other people I've got no expectations but I did <laughs> I knew that I was wanting to get sub 150 so I set off at a sub 150 pace and at halfway was on sub 150 pace and very similar to you i started to struggle started to realize that i wasn't going to be able to keep up the pace heart rate starts going up and then i do wear a strap so i i knew my heart rate was up legitimately it was because i was struggling and i wasn't fit enough to run that that time and then all of a sudden the a hill there was it's a reasonably hilly course and i hit a hill it was quite steep and I realized that I was way off. I just suddenly went, oh, Christ, I haven't got this. And really started to struggle at the top of the hill. And there was a water, there was a, a drinks, a drink station. So I, I stopped. And, and as soon as I stopped, I thought, yeah, that's it, gone. <laughs> Similar to you, I had this realization of, yeah, I'm not going to be able to catch up that time now. And for the rest of it, I was battling at like 30 seconds, a, a kilometer slower. And I dropped my pace so much in that point. And, and I remember just thinking, I'm not enjoying this. I'm not enjoying this. For, for, a, for a good third of the race and it was tough it was hard it was horrible so yeah I, I did this I did a very similar thing of like my expectation got in the way of me enjoying the event because I put too much pressure on the time and if I'd have had someone like yourself James who I'd have spoken to about it I don't think you'd have, I don't think you'd have let me have that expectation in myself given the, the missed training and the short turnaround time to push for a PB so yeah I, I think that's so key just Sometimes having someone who can be objective, step away from the emotion of the situation, be objective about it and give you some 
hard advice sometimes and just say, come on, we need to have a, a chat about expectations and maybe maybe a, a, the silver and bronze becomes your gold and your silver, perhaps. Yeah, you flip, you flip those two goals around. So actually you need to achieve those two before you even think about achieving the next one. It's almost the cherry on top of the cake. And it, yeah. uh, just listening to you there just made me think about, again, Sarah's experience um, where this is her third marathon, but she had had the four-hour um, target in the previous two marathons and she was eight and nine minutes off in the first two you know, obviously I've spoken to her about her experience and she seemed to put first the fact that she wanted to enjoy it and it was sort of, you know, that it's such a long event that it you'll only get that goal in probably the last third of the race. The first two thirds of the race is just about being in and around, in and around it in the ballpark so that you don't blow up at the end. Speaking to her, she... um she was just enjoying herself. All of the photos of her are of her hands waving in the air, smiling sort of thing. And she enjoyed the whole thing. She actually got 401, but she doesn't care because she had a great time and she felt good the whole way. So I certainly think that's something to be said for the performance goal is the cherry on top for yeah. potentially events which um, we haven't done before or you know, someone isn't necessarily uh, well trained, you know, like, a, you know, that you've done several of them. If that makes and, sense. and that was exactly the feeling I had in the London landmarks where I knew I'd, I'd injured my ankle in April. We had this big cycle. We put loads of, loads of time into cycling. So we had five training runs. So I, I genuinely had no expectations. So <laughs> I was able to enjoy the whole thing. And you look at the pictures from that and I'm smiling, I'm waving. I had a quick look at the pictures from this, from the Royal Parks and I'm struggling through loads of them. It looks like I've just got game face on way too early. And yeah, you didn't look good at 12 miles when I no, saw you. No, no, no. I was I was in the in a in a hole at that point. It wasn't fun. I was chatting, uh we or we were chatting off air, right? Obviously, we mentioned we did London to Leeds. I just wanted to kind of talk about kind of joined up like group goals compared to individual goals. And I, this is slightly off topic, but we both trained for a long time, what, four months maybe, I reckon, for, for the cycle to Leeds, maybe more. Yeah. And we we completely flipped our training. Like, I've never cycled that far. To put it into context, that's 240 miles done over two days, which for us is, like, just ridiculous. Like, I remember, do you remember when we, at the start, we both said to the guy that was organised, it was like, mate, you sure we shouldn't be doing this over three days? This seems yeah. a bit ridiculous. And obviously now it's done, it's done. But what was interesting there is the performance goal was getting there. Yeah. Because there were more of us. And so our training was all about making sure we could all get there as a unit rather than individually like trying to smash out as fast as you can. So our training was all kind of aerobic-based zone two type stuff together as a unit to try and make sure that we all had the capability to kind of make this possible. Whereas obviously you flip that on its head and then you start talking about your half marathon, for instance, or these individualized goals and the performance goal all of a sudden is normally a bit of an overreach of what you've done before. It's not just about like 
getting there for most people. It's like, okay, well, last time I ran 130, so this time I'm going to run 122 or whatever, you know, pick a range for whatever's appropriate for the person in front of you, which is, it completely changes the mindset, I think, because there's no enjoyment. There's, There's like, you're not just about like getting each other there and kind of like, boy, like, having that kind of atmosphere it's about like game face this yeah. has to happen and that bike ride Very to leads that bike ride to leads there was some serious seriously fun moments throughout that the, the, the elation at the end was so powerful that we'd done it as a group and and i know that there, there's pretty good evidence to say that exercise compliance is is is, is improved with group adherence and do it as a group and I'm, I'm i guess that goes back to my team sport days and same for you right I, I used to love turning up and playing with a team so that that's the first time for a couple of years where i've had that experience of achieving a goal as a team and it felt amazing so yeah i think that maybe we'd lost sight of that or i certainly lost sight of that with my recent run of of, of just doing it and putting too much pressure on myself rather than in, enjoying it so would you prefer in the future do team challenges or individual challenges i personally would say a mix yeah i think i do need both but i tell i think i would enjoy if i was going to have an individual goal i would like to participate in a race that someone else was participating in so there's still this sort of like group feeling about the training process like both of us are egging each other on like myself and Andy have done similar events over the past and there's there's always a, a healthy rivalry between the two of us that spurs us on it's like he, we've spoken about this in a negative way as well sometimes of like comparing but on the whole it, it's quite motivating to see that the other person's training and that we're both making progress so I think if I if it's about individual goals I still like the idea of having someone else aspiring and p- trying to peak for that same event yeah I guess um I've not really done too much uh, team activities. I've played a little bit of football, but there was nothing really uh, substantial there. Um, so a lot of my experiences have been on individual sports. But uh, I, I can see how doing a team challenge, which is novel, climbing up three peaks, walking a certain distance or, or whatever, and you name a challenge. Whereas if I was going to do a individual challenge which was performance related i would want to one obviously know that you can do that challenge which for example i know that i can now do a marathon and be able to train for it and also that you've been training for it for a while because if you've only done a short period of time of training the the goal will always be to complete it it's unlikely that you're going to get huge performance related adaptations over such a short space of time if you've if you're only training for three four five months the chances are you're probably just adapting your body to get used to the activity that you're attempting whatever that activity is whereas if you put in months and years of training you'll one you'll get very obviously adapted to that mode of exercise and you'll be able to see a lot more progression just putting my SNC hat on quickly. So what's something I've reflected on and realized is that next year I do want to do another half marathon again, but I don't want to feel like I did this time around. So I'm really keen to 
challenge for the PB. So when I when I did get my PB, I did a, a virtual race as well. So around where I live in Landon, because it was lockdown, it was in the middle of COVID. I had all the time in the world to train. So that's then makes sense to me why I found it much easier to to get, to hit that goal. So so this time around to PB, I need I need longer time, a better plan, more structure, and this ties in actually quite nicely to a a, a podcast that we're going to we're going to record soon with Richard Tucker uh, exercise physiologist so so we're going to look at how would you train for a PB how would you do that so uh, that's that's my goal next year is to take it more seriously over a longer period of time how do I put my body in the right place for it rather than feeling like I did last time so thankfully it's sort of motivated me positively rather than maybe feel like I never want to run again but uh, it could easily go the other way as well, right? Yeah, I just wanted to throw in, so obviously I was signed up for the Royal Parks and ended up not running it. For those that uh, haven't seen me whinging on Instagram, I ended up irritating my knee after cycling, not really running, then doing five training runs and running a half marathon, which being a physio is, you know, it's utterly ridiculous when you say that out loud, to be honest. But and Can I just um, add an, a knee specialist physio as well? Yeah, yeah, the irony is yeah. not wasted. <laughs> then what I will say though is is the content has been fantastic. It's given me tons of content. <laughs> um but what I will say is having not been able to run Royal Parks, which is one I've been signed up for for ages. I can't even remember where that got moved from, but I've been signed up for that for, for ages and it just kept getting moved. Been the same yeah, it just kept getting moved, kept getting moved, kept getting moved, and I thought, oh, it'll just move again. Don't worry about it, it'll be fine. And the same as I thought for uh London landmarks sorry um you know that was two weeks after our cycle but I was convinced it was like oh well that's gonna move so don't worry about it just train for the cycle now if I had this and this is a a sort of segue into why somebody like yourself James is really important and I think probably something that me and Charlie both come to the conclusion that next year if we want to like peak and pb maybe we need to actually get a training plan rather than kind of have a rough idea of what you need to do to kind of complete something you know is that if I'd have said to somebody like yourself, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to train to cycle 240 miles over, over two, over two days. And then I've got a half marathon two weeks later, you'd have said, well, basically you need a duathlon plan, right? You're pretty much training for two events at the same time. Cause they are basically at the same time. Cause you've not really got much recovery period between one and the other. So you can't really afford to only cycle and then think, Oh, right. Well, you've done the cycle now. So now start running. You need to do both at the same time. And you might have to manage how much of each one you do. And you can probably get away with doing less than you would for each individual race because both will slightly sort of help each other from an aerobic base perspective. But obviously, if you don't have some, and, and this is on reflection and uh, from this, which probably would have meant I wouldn't have irritated my knee, which had meant I'd have run Royal Parks, which would have been a much more sort of effective way of completing my training plan for this year. But sometimes you have to kind of learn by making the stupid mistakes. However, if you have somebody in play, and this is why for any of my patients to walk in and say, oh, I've never run a marathon, but I've signed up for it next year. I'm like, whoa, let's get somebody in play. That's going to kind of look at the broad spectrum of what you're going to do. Let's put the right elements of strength in there. Let's get your runs right. Let's make sure it's doable. Let's make sure you're recovering, what you're eating, what you're going to drink, when you're going to do that, how you're going to strategize that race and your training plan. Sometimes I think you have to, well, always actually have it on reflection i think if you've got a big novel new goal perhaps it's better to externalize some of those aspects completely it's probably this is probably where i've come to take the emotion out of it have someone who yeah, can g- look at it 
from afar detracted from the emotion like yourself James funnily enough that that, you know that's that's kind of it's crazy because we know we know so many people like that and yet neither of us did it um and (laughs) we've we've both had a either an injury or a, a, a perceived failure as a result of getting sucked into our own ego yeah it's very easy I think to uh that's a huge amount of information and we all know you know we've all done sports science degrees i've got the job that i've got um you guys are physios and and you you know an awful lot about it compared to the average joe so you probably thought i know a fair bit i know enough but i think you know you talk to a lot of uh coaches out there and, and they if they compete or if they partake in an activity which with which they want to succeed in they probably have said that they need a coach. <laughs> You'll probably see it on Instagram. Coaches need coaches. It's true. There's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason you guys have a job. There's a reason I have a job. There's a reason coaches have a job, and that's because we will get emotional about it. We won't be able to see the wood from the trees. We need someone to be objective about things, and we need someone to talk to from a psychological perspective it was something that I was going to touch on earlier and I forgot about but it made me realize the longer I've been in the job that I've been in I've realized that psychology is just as big a part as physiology and I never really gave it the time or thought when I was younger especially when I was uh, running 800 meters and starting out my strength and conditioning career I didn't really you know I thought that physiology science was the be all and end all and the longer I've been in the role I've been in the more I think that psychology plays a role which is why I found Mike James's podcast with you guys very very interesting which is why I'm probably going to listen to a lot more psychology podcasts in the future um, because it plays such a big role in how we train in how we perform and how we go about living our lives as well which is a massive part of performance it's it seems like you know towards the end of this podcast we're we're basically saying a lot about the negatives of challenges but you know i i wholeheartedly see these things as a very positive way of keeping me engaged with exercise and keeping me motivated and accountable to do something i think that in, in a few different ways. I mean, I, I have fairly high expectations in general. So a challenge instantly makes me feel like I want to to do well in it. But also when you're doing these group challenges, you, you're then accountable to other people too. So you, you, you feel like you're letting them down if you miss training. You know, I injured my ankle really bad at the start of the training journey and I felt horrendous because I felt like uh, that I'd be the slow one. They'd all have to wait for me. So so that gave me a bit of a rocket up my ass to, to really push when I could. So there's there's this hugely positive thing about about challenges that that's really galvanized my training since I stopped playing team sport and has made me a better athlete I I used to be a I used to really love training as a group but I was rubbish at doing stuff outside of that now I've realized that I can enjoy the the stuff on my own and and I figured out a way of doing that which is challenges it's making myself accountable to something and and other people so I've the last few years of doing these challenges and progressively doing stupid more more and more stupid ones i've i've realized i just love it i just really enjoy the process of having something i've never done before having something i'm going to find hard and trying to get better at it agreed 
just slightly attaching the SNC coach to that accountability bit or a coach to that accountability bit or even a plan to that accountability bit. I find it much easier to segue a run that I'm struggling to find time for in my day in if it's on a bit of paper and, I, and I'm going to kind of like not do it and I'm going to kind of regret not doing it. Whereas if I don't have that bit of paper or that email, whatever it might be, the attachment, and I'm kind of winging it, I suppose. It's like a prioritization I, thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll just find a way. I'll find a yeah. way to kind of think, oh, that's all right. It's okay that I miss that run. I'll be fine. Yeah. Whereas when you've got someone or you've got something, at least, at least you kind of, I don't know, it's harder for me to not do that. It's much harder because I feel like I'm kind of giving up a little bit on like the plan and, and I'm not very good at that. How about we try and finish what, by each giving one tip to people who are going through challenges? So we could, we've all had some failures, some successes. What would, be, what would be the one tip you would give to someone who's got a challenge coming up? Uh, mine would be to have different goals that are aligned with that challenge that are not only principally performance related. Mine, mine would be to have enough time to get in the training so that when you do the event, you can enjoy it rather than feel like you're chasing it and catching up on it. That's probably my, my reflection of a few failures I've had. I'd probably say that my one off the back of those two, because I probably would have had those two as well, would be to have someone who you can objectively talk to about the event and about training, who has a relative amount of experience doing it. That's awesome. There's lo- I think there's loads in there um, for people to listen to. I-, I do feel like there was there was a segment where I was a bit worried James was going to cry. um but no no i thought no it was really good and to be honest like mate really kind of you to share that because it was you know it's pretty raw still at the end of the day and nice for you to share that and i think people can take a lot from that Uh, so thanks for sharing that mate that's all right i mean i've probably been talking about it all of the two weeks since (laughs) yeah it also meant that i didn't have to talk too much about chucking my guts up on our, our ride to Leeds for, for a <laughs> You're day welcome. so so yeah that, that that wasn't too fun but I mean that was other than maybe better hygiene um, catching that virus off my daughter <laughs> there's probably not too much I could have done about that one the best um, thing about that is COVID taught us about isolate the guy with anything wrong with him so we just shoved <laughs> him in a room on his own and just left him there and no one went anywhere near him yeah doesn't matter how how bad he's feeling. Isolate, isolate. So, so rather than going into detail, what I'll do is I'll just post a picture on our Instagram. In fact, there's a couple. I can post a couple of pictures that which pretty much summarise exactly how I was feeling on day two of that ride. It was grim. It was it was not fun. I, to be honest, it's, that's probably my biggest achievement in, in challenges was that day two, feeling as bad as I felt to somehow get get to the other end and that i wouldn't have done it on my own it was because i didn't want to let the group down so yeah it kind of comes back to that again doesn't it the power of a challenge and the power of doing that with a with a group of people that you care about and you've all gone through this training journey i just thought i need to do this yeah i need to, I need to do that's it. what my um that's what my mates talk about when i ask them about rugby and you know, there's there's certain traits with like rugby players and maybe football players as well but i think more so rugby players just because 
it's almost like they're going to battle with each other kind of thing and they lay their bodies on the line and they inflict you know they go through pain a different type of pain but they go through pain with each other and yeah, it's really similar weapons you wouldn't believe the the attrition in the slip cordon that you have to go through <laughs> yeah yeah that's um, why you're so mouthy yeah that's cricket is the best way to sharpen your, <laughs> what's called banter these days, but mainly sort of is sort of verbal abuse, I suppose. Um, yeah. 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 So James, can you can you um give the listeners your your tips for either a podcast or a book, stuff stuff that you enjoy you're enjoying at the moment that you're learning from? Can you give give our listeners your tips for that? I I'm gonna be really annoying and Listen to something that you haven't listened to before. Listen to a topic where you don't think that you're going to get much from it because the chances are you probably will. Um, that's what I've I've taken off the back of this, some of this psychology stuff, um, for sure. I think that, I, I actually, to be quite frank, again, um, being honest here, I haven't read a huge amount recently. There's a load of books on my shelf. There's probably some stuff that I haven't read, but I would love to reread. There's stuff which I have had in the pipeline um, from a long time ago, which are probably one of my favourite books, stuff like The Shoe Dog, for example, that I probably, not The Shoe Dog, but that you would have read maybe five years ago. I probably should reread again because I'll look at it through just in a slightly different way. The other thing that I would probably say is, is just keep talking to other people and try to learn from other people about what they have gone through their experiences their um, beliefs their training philosophies their way of looking at life at the end of the day I think these podcasts are absolutely fantastic because it's such an easy way to listen to lots of different people keep doing what you guys are doing and I'm just going to continue to surf the podcast net to find more stuff. <laughs> find more knowledge. Yeah. Well, um, James, where are people going to find you after this? What's the best way to get engaged with you or to um, find more of your content? Uh, yeah. So Instagram's probably where I'm spending most of my time at the moment. Optimal strength underscore is my handle. I do have a website, www.optimalstrength.co.uk. James, cool. it's been it's been it's been really nice, really great for you to come on and talk so openly about about your experiences. Thanks, thanks for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me. I I consider it to be a bit of an honour, to be honest with you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe and give us a five star rating. We'll keep bringing you the gold. Follow us on Instagram at the.healthspace and for any questions or ideas for future content, email us at thehealthspace.co at gmail.com